Did you know you can support your local independent bookstore and me in my efforts to promote books that feature women in aviation by shopping for your next aviatrix read on the Literary Aviatrix website? I built the website to serve as a central source to search and find books featuring women in aviation, and it was important to me to offer you the opportunity to buy from independent sellers. If the book you're interested in is available on bookshop.org, you'll find a link to purchase through my affiliate account on my website, which means I'll receive a small portion of the sale to support the content you love. Blue skies and happy reading. Welcome to the Aviatrix Writer's Room. I'm Liz Booker. In this discussion with author Sandy Parks, she shares her journey from traditionally published author to creating her own imprint for self-publishing, True Airspeed Press, and she talks about learning to do her own cover designs. Sandy is the author of eight books, including Under the Radar, a Taking Risks novel, which was the Aviatrix Book Club discussion book for April 2022. Welcome to the Aviatrix Writer's Room. I'm back with Sandy Parks, the author of Under the Radar, which is the Aviatrix Book Club discussion book for April 2022 and seven other books that she's written. Sandy, um, when you you talked a little bit about how you got started in writing, uh, writing a romance novel back when you kind of had nothing else to do with your time. When you decided that you were going to write, how did you develop your craft? Oh, that, see, that's a good question. Um, I've always been a reader and I've always been a writer of, of some kind. Um, I started back even in high school doing, you know, reading, uh, writing classes and stuff like that because I enjoyed it. Um, never really had that chance until I um, think I was telling you about in the other, um, in the book part that uh, I started writing little kind of vignettes for my um, college classes that I was teaching and it, it's just made them, I, I, you know, you kind of learn how to make up stories and create, create situations and scenarios. And you always try to think of, well, let's make one thing even worse and one thing even worse. And then put those together. And then they, they had to figure all these things out and solve them or see if they could even work together. So I, you know, I kind of looked at that and thought, well, you know, it's similar to novel building ideas. I actually probably didn't tell you this, but I have like three other novels that are sitting under my bed is what you call it. <laughs> they will never see the light of day. <laughs> and, and part of that is what I think a lot of people don't understand today. They finish a book and by George, that book is going to get published one way, or the, one way or another. And sometimes you have to understand that um, just move on. Don't hang on to something forever. Move on and write the next one. Um, don't always make it in a series because, I mean, you can, but if that series, if the first book doesn't sell, um, then there, you know, no one's going to buy your second book. So you, you might do yourself a service by having a couple different ideas and writing the first book and a couple different things if you plan on making it in a series. If you're not doing a series and you're just writing about one topic and it's going to be a whole different person and different thing with the second, then don't worry about that. But be uh, willing to move on. 
Um, that's the hardest thing I think that writers today, they just want to publish that first thing that comes. It's done. If I can't sell it, I'm publishing it. Sometimes that first thing you write isn't meant to be published. <laughs> you can, doesn't mean that the things that are in it can never be used. I mean, you can use a lot of the material and everything else, but it's the exercise of writing it that you learn a lot from. And um, I did that. Um, I had a sister who was a professional author at the time. She also was a journalist before. So that's where she learned her craft. So um, she could read anything I wrote. Um, she would edit it. She would give me advice, not a lot to start with, because I think, you know, just like anyone, I think she was busy and she figures that you need to learn to do it yourself somewhat. So keep writing, keep practicing and keep going. And the first few books I wrote, you know, it was too obvious who the bad guy was, you know, if, if it wasn't meant to be obvious, if, if I thought I was hiding it, it was like, she's going at book, book, you know, ten, page 10, I know what it is, you know, no surprise. So that didn't work. So, you know, it's those kind of things where you, you learn a lot, you know, you learn how to telegraph and not telegraph, how to. Uh, where to start the book is the hardest thing. And so a lot of, um, I think some of the things I learned probably from her and then from, you know, people that I worked with or, um, you know, critique groups I got into, some were really good, uh, some were terrible. <laughs> you spend forever, you know, going over one chapter and you're thinking like, okay, people we're missing, we're getting the nits, but we're missing the big picture. And so I think there's a lot of ways you need to learn to do your writing uh, bits and pieces at a time. like. Um, you know, learn the craft of developing and laying out a story and then learn uh, the techniques and then learn uh, the cleanup. You know, there's all these little stages that you really need to look at. Um, you have to be pretty unique and pretty step back from your work to be able to do it all at once. Um, I think I was uh, mentioned that to you earlier that my son has written some books and I figured the last person you would talk to or even <laughs> want to hear from would be his mother. But um, he's a professional and he's really busy and he had a little bit of time to write these stories. And he actually put out about a book a month. I mean, wrote a book a month, just about. And I took his, he said, mom, would you look at these? He said, I don't have time to mess around. Tell me black and white, everything that needs to be fixed and I'll do it. And he said, I don't care what you say. I'm just going to do it. So most people fall in love. Their book is their baby. And so they don't want their baby messed around with I, I took a look at it. He reminded me a lot of me, you know, 20 years earlier or whatever. And um, I tore it apart. And I just, I went through, I said, I'm hitting everything all at once. I would never do this with anybody else. <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm telling you, I'm doing it all at once. And some people will say, go ahead, just hit me with it all. I can handle it. And then you'll never hear from them again. I've done that with people before who said that to me. And then I've never heard from them again um, because they really are it is too much so um you know it, not everybody can, my son did great with that um he literally had no time so when i said cut the you know cut the first chapter from 15 pages to you know three to six he cut it to five and i think he said he didn't cut it more since then so um you know there was a reason for that because that character it was just the lead-in that character wasn't going to survive for the rest of the book so, you know, don't get invested in somebody that, you know, you don't spend 15 pages on a character is not going to be around. So you have to be, you know, you really have to think through the pacing on your book, um, getting started. I've, even the books I have out today, I've made mistakes. Um, you know, you, sometimes you shake your head and go, I'm going to go back and fix this someday. But again, you got to keep moving on. And I'm not a fast writer. In today's world, people write really fast. 
So um, I write long and slow and sometimes more detailed and it takes me more research. So I'm slower. Um, you know, I trying to think of a series I could write that would be quick, no research. <laughs> There's all those little things that you, you know, have to look at. So I don't know if that's any help, but take classes. I mean, the Romance Rise of America at the time was one of the few places that really offered training. So you could go and you could take classes on craft. Didn't matter what you were writing. There were people that were, you know, writing crime thrillers that would teach classes. And, you know, it's good to go. Go learn about different aspects. Every time you get a class and somebody's talking about pacing, characterization, action scenes, um, every single one of those will help you. It doesn't matter what you're writing. You could be writing, um, you know, horror stories for that matter. It still helps. And um, so, you know, that's what you learn from. You know, you talk about being a slow writer, but, and maybe it's just a function of time, but it feels like you're fairly pro prolific in, at least within <laughs> our, our uh, group, you've written so many books. How do you, like, what does your writing life look like? How do you structure your day? Do you, do you work full time or were you writing when you were working full time? And how did you, how did you work through that? Well, I, when I really started writing a lot, uh, I was working and writing when I first started. Um, but later, uh, we, my husband had to move for, he was doing a year in one place and then moving right on to the next. So I didn't even try to get a job and I just wrote. And so that's, I wrote like two books in that, in that one year. Yeah, for me, that's a lot. And those two books, no one will ever see, but <laughs> that, was, that was the good practice. Um, and then when, once I moved down here, I thought I'd go back to work, but my youngest son needed a little bit of help in school. So I went into schools every, you know, every day I could and worked with the kids on math and reading. You just kind of do what you do for your families. And sometimes it's not what you expect. That's why I started writing more books. And, it, you know, if I look at all the years I wrote, it doesn't seem like I've gotten much done. But back in the day when I started, um, you basically had to write and then you spent a good part of your time trying to find agents and trying to find editors and going to meetings and um, going to national conferences to meet um, editors and agents. And I, and actually, if you really want to publish with, you know, one of the big houses today, if that's your goal, uh, there may be reasons it is or isn't your goal. And there's plus and minuses with both. Um, then you really need to go that route. You need to put together packages and mail them out. You know, so when I say packages, I, they're email uh, things that you put together and you email out to agents. But honestly, querying, querying yeah. Right. The best way to do it, honestly, is not that way. Because knowing so many agents over the years, basically they don't have time to look at them. And at the most, they might have one of their staff look at them if they even have time. But um, some will get 250 a day. So you know yours is going to never even get looked at. Unless someone, and what happens often in the publishing world is they come out and say, hey, we're looking for this kind of story right now. That's it. So when their staff get them in and even they get them in, they're just looking through, hey, if you see one of these, flag it and I'll take a look at it. You know, so that's how it is. But everybody else that day just ends up in the trash bin. So the best way to get to meet an agent or an editor, and you can meet both, is to go to a national conference of some kind. I know the International Thriller Writers does this. The um, Romance Writers of America used to do it. Um, I don't belong to that anymore, but um, they might. Um, is to actually do either an online kind of pitch fest, which is what uh, I think Thriller Writers had been doing during COVID, or actually go to the um, go to the conference. 
Um, one of the things I did, and I actually got requests from like four different agents, maybe five that year. I can't remember. It was quite a few. Is I volunteered to work um, at the uh, conference. It was one that was in New York, so I knew that there would be a lot of agents and editors that come to New York. So if a conference is located in New York, that's your best place to go because that's where most of the publishing happens. Sometimes in California, you might find the same thing, but you're better off in New York. Volunteer, if, if you know, I belong to the national organization, but I didn't belong to that local one, but they were asking for volunteers. And I said, you know, I'd really like to um, help for the agent editor interviews. And why I say that is that you go in and you, you know, you wave at them when their, you know, interview is done. It's like, take that person out, next one in. But what happens is somebody decides, you know what, I don't want to talk to an agent. I don't want to talk to an editor today. I'm chickened out. Nobody shows up. So what you do is you say, Oh, your person didn't come. And then you just kind of sit there and talk to the person. And then since they're an agent or editor, they say, well, what do you write? And you tell them what you write. And they go, you know, here's my card. Send me your stuff. And that's what happened. And that happened probably out of the, I think I did get five requests that time. I'd say three of them were just like that. That's and the two, so smart. Yeah, Cause you, you only can sign up for like one or two of these things. Uh-huh. So, you know, it depends. I can't remember how you do them all. Every And everyone does their editor agent stuff differently. But I mean, that's one way you get through the door. And I and I did get, I had an agent before because I got one when I, um, my sister was writing some romances at the time. She writes mysteries now, very popular mystery series. So I'll, I'll give a pitch for the Lexi Carmichael mystery series, <laughs> Julie Moffat. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, tell us. <laughs> so um, hers are a lot of fun. Uh, they're a little crazy. They're really meant to be light but they deal with uh, people that are hackers. I mean, the character in the story used to work for the NSA and uh, then she gets out and goes with private organizations and that's what they deal with. So it's got all these t- fancy adventures. It's a lot of fun. She's a bit of a geek. So she's, um, you know, doesn't always fit in. And my sister's actually written a spinoff YA series from that too. And it's called the White Knight series, which, you know, Knights or the white knights are the good guys in the hacking. And <laughs> so that's where that came from. So she's kind of branching out into writing different things then. Um, she's got about 13, 13 books now. She's got another one coming out pretty soon. And those are put out by the first half are put out by Karina Press. And now she's putting them out herself. And she actually has a whole really popular uh, Facebook fan group that, you know, it's the busiest group I've ever seen. So she's doing things right <laughs> when it comes to, you know, publicity and all those kind of things too. So you two are like a power, power sister <laughs> in the writing world. Yeah. Well, she, she's, cool. she writes very fast, but she also is a single mom. And um, I didn't get a chance to mention before, but she has an um, autistic child. And that's why I wrote Sipo, the character that I had in the other book that I wrote. So, of course, you can't help but put some of those things and lessons learned in some of the stories that you, you know, you write too. So, and how, how so, about you? Do you write every day? What's your rhythm like? Um, well, I used to. Um, I'm just getting back into that again. The last two years, I kind of laid off everything just about. I work kind of doing other kinds of things. I, during the pandemic, I don't know why, but I just, I, I sat there doing research and, and, working on this one book and it just seemed like it was not going anywhere. And so I was tearing it apart, putting it back together. I've done that about 10 times. I'm still not happy with it, but it's about done. <laughs> and sometimes you just feel that way because you've worked on a book so long, you're just sick of it. So you can't tell if it's any good or not. 
last two years have been kind of bad, but now I'm back into, I try to ride a little bit every day. Um, sometimes it's just for a couple hours, usually to get somewhere really to really move along faster. You need to ride about four hours a day. At least I do, <laughs> but at least I've got the last month I did a, a short, which is about 10,000 words. And so I did it and edited it. And it's now I'm meeting with my critique partners um, this weekend. We're going on a girl's writing retreat. Yay. <laughs> away from everybody up in the woods, on the lake in the woods. So um, we're going to do that. And so I, I would say that the best routine that people seem to have is to pick some time of day to write. If you work, you know, either get up early before work, which for me was just, I'm, I'm not a morning girl, I'm a night girl. So for me, it's like when everyone went to bed is the time I would write. Um, now that I'm getting older, I'm finding that I'm ready for bed too when it gets late, but um, I still stay up late and do, you know, I'll find other things like I'll work on my cover design or, you know, learning that kind of stuff. But I do, you know, I still try to find about at least an hour or two to write. And I'm now getting back into that. And that's what's working for me again. So I'm feeling kind of good. Like, I think I'm back in the swing again, but um, I'm, I had friends say, are you still writing? And you went... Ooh, that hurts. <laughs> so, but part part of what uh, happens when you put your own stuff out is now you need to become a marketing specialist, a design specialist. You don't have to; you can hire people to do your covers. But you need to have a good understanding of what a cover should be, and that's part of the coursework that I took was um, from professional cover designer who did this course and it was, I really enjoyed it. He talked about if you're doing a cover, what should be on it for your genre? So if you're writing YA and you're writing whatever, what should be on your covers? And what I like about it is that the group is still open that you can go back and post things that you're working on and people come in and, you know, have learned from his class and they come back and say, okay, this is great, but I don't get this. I get more of a a YA romance. I don't get a YA this, or I get more of a memoir from this and not a thriller from that. So um, it's good to have somebody be able to look at that and actually critique you on just your cover because no one is going to open your book if the covers are bad. And that's why I'm redoing my covers. <laughs> because Let's back, you know, Let's back this up just a little bit. Like, so, so you're designing your own covers. That is a very niche skill. Um, but let, what, let's back it up to what happened. So you were agented and were publishing traditionally. You tell us about True Airspeed Press, what that evolution looked like and what you're doing primarily with your books now. Are they all, are they all self-published or are you still in traditional publishing and why? Well, I'll just uh, I'll show you something from, uh, you know, this was um, like back in the old days when you published, you uh, would sell your rights to a company and usually you got your rights back within seven years. That is not true anymore. That has changed because of e-publishing. Once a company gets hold of your books, you can be very lucky to get them back, but you don't know. There are people I saw somebody else the other day say, hey, I got my rights back for a book I'd published with somebody so many years ago. So you can always ask, you know, even though you sold it to them in, perpetu in perpetuity, I can really say that, um, you can still often get your rights back. Sometimes they'll ask for money for them, um, especially if you were a big writer or doing really well, your chances of getting them back are small. But if you did, you'd probably have to buy your rights back. 
Um, so there's always that. Uh, but in, in the old days, <laughs> up until recently, I'd say until about the last 10 years, maybe 12 years, you could get your rights back. So like my sister and I did a trilogy and it's called the, this was the historical romance that we did. So we got ours back and we recovered them because the covers that they did at the time, th this is why people prefer to, to often publish for themselves. I could show you our old covers and none of them even look alike because when they were putting ours out, there was a series of three books, but my sister had one, I had one, she had one. And then, you know, we did other little things on the side, but they put the book out one at a time with no, um, like her first one looks like a Gothic where they're running away with a castle in the background and somebody's holding a candle in her long little dress as she's running away. Cause it's supposed to be, you know, kind of adventure or romance. Um, and then the second one I had, um, they had, they were trying to decide how they wanted to cover the future books in this. They couldn't decide. So they took somebody who already had one coming out. Mine was with a guy on a ship, right? Cause it was dealt with Salem, you know, um, Boston, you know, near Boston. So it was about a shipwright. And so they just took the same guy, the same ship, and they just moved him into different positions and put my title out. So that didn't match at all to the Gothic running away from a castle in the background <laughs> or, a, you know, something like that. And then the third book came out and they were getting ready to do something modern. So they did kind of this, kind of this funky orange and the guy looked like the guy from um, Luke Skywalker standing on the edge of the water in his kind of whitish outfit. And they're going like, and how does that fit in? So we had no control over that. You have no control. You can tell them what you'd like to see on it, but they don't have to listen to you. They can put whatever they want. And back then, I don't know. So anyway, eventually when we got it back, we put out a series and we had our own co covers made and there is this kind of a youthful series. So we, but remember this is over 10 years old now. So they probably need recovering. You can see what the other ones look like, but you see how they kind of have a similar theme. Like they kind of match. This was the first one. And this was the second one. They have a, the bottom is the same. The, the writing is the same. And then this was the last one. And it's got the same uh, redhead. Yeah, they're uh, branded. Little, it's branded. So you can yeah. tell there. And we also made this little kind of swirl. So there was a branding swirl. So that's on all of them. Even though they're slightly different, you can see the swirl on each one of these. So this way, you can take it into your own hands to start branding your own material. But and you is, also that what, is that what motivated you to start your own Press. Yeah, <laughs> that and um, what happened is my um, literary agency put out my first um, repossessed, which is this one right here. They put this one out. So basically, they had the rights to do that. I gave them the rights to do that. And they, they put it out. But they didn't know anything about stuff. So they just put it out. They didn't know what to do with it. And I thought, um, you know, all the advertising was up to me. Anything I did with it was up to me finding followers, creating newsletter lists was up to me. And so finally said, well, why am I paying you for this? And, you know, so anyway, they gave me the rights back. I was able to keep the same cover and everything on it. There was nothing that they, they didn't care. Um, that's something you have to be careful of when you get your stuff back from a publisher, depending on the publisher, sometimes you cannot use the same cover. So you'd have to get a different cover made. Some even won't let you use the formatting. I, that's very rare. I wouldn't worry about that. But um, also you have to go in and you have to, you have to basically pay to have it reformatted because they put 
stuff in the front that might be advertising their company. They put stuff in the back that might be advertising other people's books. See, mine advertises my next book. I don't want to advertise other people's books. So um, there's a lot of little things like that you need to do. But because of that, I decided I'd go ahead and start my own company. So I started True Airspeed Press because I still like the idea of always having something to do with flying. Even in my science fiction books, there's usually an airplane or an airplane scene or something in every one of my books. So um, just because I, I have to give a nod to aviation, I can't help it. <laughs> And how's um, it going? Like, how how has it been for you compared to traditional publishing since you've gone uh, this route? Um, I would say about the same. I think mostly because I don't have enough books to heavily um, publicize. Um, so in other words, to advertise and stuff, the more you have in a series, the better off you ha- you are. So I think a lot of it is just that I haven't put enough into the advertising. And that in itself is, is something you have to learn. And you have to follow and you have to try stuff out, you know, doing all kinds of um, online things help. For example, like you setting up a, like a, a book reading club and that kind of thing is, is good for you because you're able to get your books out to a lot of people, you know, that are readers. So right now, because I didn't advertise for the last two years, mine have kind of just quit kind of, they make a little bit of money, but not much. But one of the things I also haven't done is I have a huge newsletter list that I haven't sent out to because I had nothing new to send them. So kind of all in the mix, I've just let things set, which means as I am scoping up now to start re-putting stuff out, it means I almost have to start over again. I have to go back. I have to look at everybody in my newsletter list. I have to um, refresh that. In other words, start sending out to them and see how many people ask me, You know, which I could have a really high drop rate which then will sometimes make the places that you're sending uh, email from, from your, from your uh, readers list. Sometimes you can get um, in trouble for that if you have too many people drop you. So I'm going to have to figure out something really enticing to keep people wanting to, um, you know, open the What do you mean by that? You can get in trouble for it. What does that mean? Um, it, it basically, there's, there's a fine line between when you send out newsletters, uh, between spam, people wanting to be on it. Now, everybody who's on my list signed up at some point. But if you know readers, they will sign up for any list if they can get something free. And so a lot of times I've given away free books or free, you know, whatever it is. So a lot of people will sign up so that they can read a book for free. And what happens is then they sign up for 80 authors and they can't take their inboxes swamped with newsletters all the time. So then they just go in and go, delete, 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 unless they happen to have actually read your book yet. And sometimes people take a book for free and they have a thousand of them. They won't have read yours yet. And so they'll mark spam because they don't want any more newsletters. So um, some of them will say, I didn't sign up for this. You're going like, the only way I got your email address is for you to sign up. But you know, the list services don't know that MailChimp or MailerLite, they don't know those kind of things. So you just have to be very careful. So over time, you know, some people say the way to solve that is just send out lots of newsletters and send them out on a very regular basis so that people expect it or they slowly wean themselves off of you so you don't get them all hit at once. But you do need to go in and call your newsletters. So you have to figure out how to do it wisely. And there are people out there that tell you how to do this. So don't listen to me because I haven't done the, the big call yet here. I've done little ones along the line, but I'm going to have to go in and kind of do what's called a relaunch. So um, 
what okay, people may want before, to before you yeah. move on. So what you're saying is that um, the MailChimps of the world or whatever service you're using will somehow see a huge drop, like people unsigning from yeah. your yeah. list. And then that will, what repercussions does that put on you? Sometimes they will uh, cut you off. Sometimes if you have too many um, drops or whatever it is um, that they want to get out of your newsletter, um, you get reported. Basically, they report you as spam and um, they stop you from being able to deliver newsletters, sometimes for a short period of time. There are people that have been completely kicked off of their uh, newsletter services. That's why it's always a good idea every month or every six months or whatever it is, always download your email list. So you have it in your hand because you could be blanked out, kicked off at any time and not be allowed back in. So you would lose all your contacts. So it's always a good idea to keep download, you know, I think it's a CVS file or something, but download a file with your um, things and keep it somewhere. So you at least have something to start with again. This is all fascinating information. So, so I have been resisting the mailing list for the past year and a half in this project because I hate email. Um, I say this all the time. I hate it. Uh, even my friends in our group, like who I know and whose books I've read, I'll sign up for their newsletters, but I only read them occasionally. I don't read every one that I get. I'll, po- I'll pop them open just to check up on them and see what news that they have. But like, these are my friends. So I'll open theirs. I don't open other people's stuff. It just yeah. go like, I just delete, delete, delete. So um, I've been super resistant to, to developing my, my own mailing list. But I do, first of all, I know that not everybody is on Facebook. And so like for the book club, for example, like how are they going to get the news that you have a new book coming out that they might want to read? Like I, I want to be able to reach those people. And then I also want to be able to tell them when we have book discussions at the same time that I guess I got to build a list of my own readers. I don't know. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. I just got to figure it out. Well, I was going to say for you, um, you, you have a good um, stage to do it on. So I would say with your, with yours, you should commit to, once you build an email list, um, you should commit to maybe sending out either a monthly, this is what we're reading this month. Yeah, or that's my plan what, for our group for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, and so I just got to get my can, stuff together. Yeah, and you can go ahead and swing that into, you know, and make that part of your newsletter list. Um, also, some, I'm in the middle of changing from MailChimp because it's gotten too expensive for me. And so I'm changing to MailerLite probably. Um, but I know in MailChimp, I could create columns and have people sign up for like, I'm, you know, I'm a reader I'm a writer, I'm a whatever, and you could keep track of all that. I don't think I can do that in MailerLite, but I'm not into MailerLite yet, so I can't really tell you. So, All fascinating. And so what other platforms are you using to promote your work? Well, there's, um, you know, everybody at some point needs to learn to do some um, advertising at some point. Um, I'm not that great at Twitter. I have a Twitter feed, but I don't really do much with it. Um, Instagram and TikTok are becoming the, the hot thing. I would say TikTok is the hottest thing. And there's actually a couple of people that are going to start doing classes on how to advertise on TikTok. Um, you seem to do great with TikTok. So you may be heading in the right direction. <laughs> I have, I don't belong to TikTok, so I don't even know where to start. Um, but, you know, 
and I'm not even sure how to, how to do it. <laughs> so I'm yeah, the, the interesting twist on TikTok, and I've, I've said this probably in other interviews before, but the interesting twist there is that, you know, I got on there, uh, because I want to market to a young adult audience. And so that's where my audience is. Um, and the, but the way, like my entry to it was to post, you know, videos and pictures of aircraft and stuff like that. And then every once in a while, I'll sneak in a little um, clip of an interview with an author. To, and as a result, I have like every 40 to 60 year old man who likes airplanes and aircraft who follows me. And, you know, it's been really interesting because what that has evolved into recently is this sort of, uh, I've kind of jumped into the fray on this discussion about, um, you know, these guys on TikTok, it's pretty encouraging. If somebody goes in and like trolls one of these women or says something negative about women in aviation, those guys are closing ranks on them. And so that's kind of a fun place to be right now to watch like how the guys are, are advocating for women in aviation. They're all doing videos right now. It, it, TikTok is a different place than I thought it was going to be. I got to be honest. Like my, my teenager has been on TikTok for years. It's, it, I, I would look over her shoulder and like, she shows me these really, I'm not going to say anything negative, but there are not of interest to me. Like the material in there from my perspective was not of interest to me, but there is a significant aviation community there. So anyway, that's off that's topic good. a little that's bit, good. but it was a surprise. That's good news. And they, you know, they have granddaughters who are going to want to read books. So <clears throat> I think so. I think so. So you're on Instagram. Um, Rarely. You... Again, again, I don't do much on Instagram and I should. Um, I'm telling yeah, my you sister should. That. You yeah. should. So I, I, I've got a way to go um, to learn to be better on some of the systems. Um, Listen, average... I, you know what? You know what? The people on Instagram don't know about all your old books. Like you could be, you could be posting about all your books. Like there's, I could, listen, if I had time, I would, I would, I, you could pay me and I would do it for you. Like I know exactly what you need to do. So if we need to have a separate call, let me know. Cause I am. We, we will. Okay. We're welcome to do that. I will tell you exactly what you need to do. I, you know, my, I have a neighbor who is a former Sun Sentinel um, a, a writer and he's retired and he writes these fun, um, you know, kind of like wannabe commercial fiction about, uh, a journalist who gets assigned, like a tabloid journalist who gets assigned to these crazy things. He, one of the assignments was, uh, to find Amelia Earhart's plane or whatever. He writes these great stories. He self-publishes them all. He has no social media. I'm like, Ken, I could, I could create your Instagram account in a minute and you would be selling these books. But yeah. Anyway. See, I, I, do, I do need to talk to somebody because I am so out of the uh, young person's, um, you know, the today's world purview on stuff. So yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of my own homework to do, which is pretty much true of any author. So I've got to get a relaunch going and I've got to get, figure this out and figure out what to do with it. So well, I'm just going to, because I mentioned it in the interview that I did yesterday with Amy Collins, I'll mention it here. If you are looking to learn how to market your book and resources for that, the Women in Publishing Summit is a great um, resource. And then that's a once a year event. Um, and it's just chock full of great information on everything from 
from uh, the craft of writing all the way to book promotion. And they also have this program that you pay a little extra for. I think it's three or $400. Most of their stuff is very reasonably priced. That's called um, Book Launch in a Box. And it walks you through, like, what do you need to do to launch your new mm -hmm. book or relaunch yeah. an older book? So yeah. it's a great resource. Yeah, they're also a NINC. Um, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a, it's local here. Usually it's in Orlando. And you have to have sold at least one book with so much sales or two books with something or another. So you have to have a little bit of a record to be in it. I don't belong. I belonged years ago and I dropped out. And now in order to get back in, I have to have current sales that meet that. I'm going like, well, okay, I'm not to that point again. So, cause I've not done anything. So now I can't get back in, but, um, and you know, life has changed since then. I kind of wish I just kept up with what I was in and been grandfathered in, but anyway, it was, uh, it is what it is. So until I get going again, it probably be a while before I can get back in the door with that. But that's another one that's interesting too. So the um, earlier, well, you may have mentioned it, but I saw it on your website. So some of these books that you've written won awards. Can you tell us about the whole award thing and how, how does a book get an award? Like, did you submit your manuscript to these things? And then does winning an award actually help you with sales? Um, yes and no, it depended on what the different awards were. Um, some, uh, some people, their books are sent directly. If they have a publisher, their publisher enters them and pays the, usually there's an entry fee. It should be very nominal though. I mean, you shouldn't be paying more than about, uh, 15 to $30. If anyone's asking for more than that, then it's probably a ripoff or somebody making money, I saw something, it was 80 bucks, and I'm going like, no, no, no. And then there are those that have so many categories, everybody wins something just about. So, you know, you want to have one that, you know, makes sense that, um, you know, that is, is worth applying for. And so, you know, you, you send into a lot of different ones. Um, the, like I said, when I belonged to the romance writers, they had tons of, tons of contests, you could, because all the different chapters would try to run their own contest, and then they get judges, they had different ways of judging, but usually they would get judges from all over there. Romance Writers of America would, you know, read. Um, I had trouble with those because I didn't always meet the romance criteria and most of them ran it as a romance thing. Well, a lot of those chapters now have all gotten out of the Romance Writers of America and formed their own local chapters. And a good number of them have gone to um, fiction. So now they are just, you know, instead of the, like the were the Florida fiction, right? Florida star fiction writers now before they were something else. So now they have people who write, you know, everything. So they don't, they try to be a little more open on if they do a con, we don't have a contest. We did years and years ago, but we don't anymore. Um, they're a lot of work. So, it's, <laughs> you know, you have to have entries, but for example, the international thriller writers does it. You will notice though, if you go look at their, their finalists, though, most of them are from, you know, publishers. So it doesn't mean you can't get in. Uh, there are people that have won that aren't are self-published, and those. And I think that one. I'm not even sure there's a fee for that one. It might be free to enter your um, ebook anyway. You know, there's organizations like that. Find out what you're writing your book for. There's also military writing or military organizations that um, are military writers organizations, and they often take books written by military. So you as a military writer could put a book and if it fit 
the general criteria they're looking for. Uh, usually they're thrillers, but sometimes they're memoirs. Sometimes they're real, you know, like if you wrote a real story about stuff, they would take that. I just picked up, I haven't read it yet. Um, Sarah Ackerman wrote Radar Girls. It's from Mira. Now that's yeah, a big, I that that's a, that's, I haven't read it, but that's a big publisher. They would probably submit her book to certain things. Um, if, you know, if she asked, I don't know, nowadays they're, they're so tight on money, they might not. So it's really up to you to do it. So do your homework though, um, find those that help. Now, what you can do is you can put it, I I didn't do it with mine, but you can put, you know, winner of something award. You can put a little circle and put a little thing on your book if you want, even if they don't know the award, if, as long as it's one that has some kind of credibility and is a decent award, you might put it on there. Just be careful because you don't want yours to be one that suddenly everybody's cover has the same one on it because then it's probably not, you know, it's not as credible, but there, there are certain ones that have more panache than others. I wouldn't say it necessarily helped me sell a lot more books, but I will say that when you win an award that means something, a lot more people are looking at it. So you do get more people wondering, well, what do you write? And so people often will pick it up and then it gives you great things to put in your newsletters, like a picture of you getting an award or the award itself coming or something. It gives you something more to publicize. And that's what you put in newsletters. And so it's not going to win you anything great. Um, there's people that I know that make a heck of a lot of money that don't write that well, <laughs> probably would not win awards. But you know what? They put a lot of books out and, and they have followers and people that love to read their stories. They don't care if the grammar is poor and everything else. They just want the story. So, you know, there's that fine line of in today's world, you know, what works and what doesn't work. So, yeah, awards are great. And sometimes they help and sometimes they don't. So, you know. Well, thanks for that. Well, this has been amazing. You've given us so much insight. Is there any other advice or is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked about writing and publishing? Yeah, I would say that the one thing about writing and publishing is that each person is individual. Everybody has their different perspective. There'll be people that go, oh, no, I would only do this or I would only do that. Or, oh, no, that's not right. I did this and it worked for me. And that's true. Different things work for different people. There are things my sister does that don't work for me, that work amazing for her. For example, her Facebook group. Now, those people love her. That's <laughs> just, they are crazy about her. And she is genuinely involved in a lot of these people's lives. And that's really cool. I'm glad she can do that. It's just in her nature. That's how she is. And uh, where I would go like, you know, I wouldn't do this. And she's going like, no, no, that's important because those people need this. And I'm going like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> whatever you say. But if I tried to do that, it would be too disingenuous because that's just, I don't see it through the same set of eyes. And I, so it doesn't, you know, that doesn't work for me. So you will find things that work for you really well that would not work for me no matter how hard I tried to do it. You can advise people and other people can try it and it will work for some, it won't work for others. I could offer the same advice, you know. Um, like for my son, you know, he wants to try to, you know, get through the door and get into a publisher and, you know, go meet a editor agent and go that route. Cause he doesn't have time and doesn't want to do it any other way. Uh, so that's, you know, that's what he's looking at. So, you know, that's his goal. And if he's going to go that he's got to take a little bit different pathway and do some different things. Um, 
you know, and today's world is changing. There's things that I couldn't do 20 years ago. I could do today. There's things I can't do today that I used to be able to do. Um, so there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. So keep at it. Try to find what works for you. That's excellent advice, Sandy. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time talking about the book and especially for all of your insights from your vast experience in writing and publishing. You've been awesome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I've enjoyed it. It's great talking to you and you've given me ideas. So. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>